This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 252 with guest Rebecca Bass-Ching. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, Ask Kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. This episode is one of those episodes that I put together kind of quickly. In other words, typically I think well far in advance for guests that are coming on. It's I, I really like to be prepared for things like this. I like to control what I can control. And in the case of the podcast, that is what guests are coming on the show. But with recent events that are happening in the news in the U.S., the events surrounding the U.S. Supreme Court uh, position with Brett Kavanaugh and then Dr. Christine Blasey Ford coming forward with her story about that, seeing the whole testimony and all of the um, more or less drama that was played out I knew that I had to come on and talk about this. So I did think about, you know, how do I want to, how do I want to come at this? And I knew for sure I wanted a couple of things. I wanted to have a conversation. You know, I wanted to have one of my um, now infamously or famously, whichever, (laughs) or not famously, (laughs) not well-known episodes of conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people. So I've been sort of reaching out to some of my friends, seeing who is willing to come on to have that conversation with me, as well as I knew I had to have a professional come on. I am not an expert in sexual assault, trauma, you know, things of that nature that are beyond my pay grade. And the great thing is, is that I know people that do specialize in that. And so I knew I wouldn't have to look very far to get someone great on here to ask all the questions that I have. And um, that person is my friend, Rebecca. She's been on the show a while back. I think it was a while ago. And so I will definitely link to that episode in the show notes. And because it was one of those episodes that I kind of was very quick about having someone come on, I don't have her fancy profesh formal bio in front of me. So I'm just going to tell you quickly what, how I know Rebecca. Rebecca and I kind of knew each other just from, you know, being in the industry of personal development. She is a therapist who works in San Diego, where I'm from. She has a practice called Potentia Therapy. And, uh, you know, she runs it and then has therapists that work in her practice. If you are in the area, she's in Point Loma. I highly recommend her and any of her therapists. She's also a Daring Way facilitator, as am I. And she's also a Daring Way facilitator consultant. So what that means is she helps in the training and she was my helper. And so all that to say... Rebecca definitely knows her shit, and I'm honored and grateful to have her on here for you. Before we jump into this conversation, I did want to tell you that registration is open for the Daring Way retreat that is happening in May in the beautiful location out in the Asheville Mountains and the Smoky Mountains, same location I've had it the last couple of times. If you need to jump on the phone with me to ask your questions, to just do a gut check to see if it's right for you, please, please, please. It's part of the application, and you can request to do so. Yourkickasslife.com slash daring hyphen retreat will get you over to that info page. This is more than just a retreat, y'all. 
well. I switched it up. I realized how I wanted to make a little bit of changes on this one. There is support before and after the retreat. More specifically, I wanted to make sure that you have the support that you need when you get home because it's great to be able to be there and learn and sit on the porch in the rocking chair and have everyone around you that's supportive and talking about these topics in a safe place. But then when you go home, it's a different story. So I didn't want you to spend all this money to come there and then go home and not know how to incorporate the tools because that's what it is. It's science-based methodology and tools. I didn't want you to go home and not know how to incorporate it in your life. So there are calls afterwards when you get home. There's a private call with me that you get as well as three months of a Facebook forum where I'm going to be helping you out in the group. You know what's really awesome is that for one of my retreats, they started a group text with all of them and they're supporting each other. And I'm like, that's amazing, you guys. I just, the bonds that are created there blow my mind. So not only do you get the curriculum, but you can very, very likely make friendships that will hopefully last a lifetime. So yourkickasslife.com slash daring hyphen retreat, read about it, make your deposit, fill out an application. And if you need to talk to me, then I'm more than happy to get on the phone with you and we can chat about it. All right. So back to this conversation. I mean, this could have been a three hour long thing. I just, I have so many feelings about it and you'll hear me in the episode kind of struggling to even ask my questions. I feel like I'm still in the midst of unpacking so much of it. And with social media, I'm sure that a lot of you can relate. It's been overwhelming to read conversations and hear people's commentary about it that maybe you agree with and maybe you vehemently do not. But I know for a lot of us, it is an extremely tender topic. And I let Rebecca really take the reins and do a lot of the sort of unpacking about what's going on here. And um, next week or the week after, depends on how uh, fast I can get it out to you, I am going to have that conversation most likely with my dear friend, Kate Anthony, the conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people about our own experiences with sexual assault. And so, um, of course, as always, trigger warning for this topic. Um, We don't get too much into specifics about things. It is more of kind of like a surface level conversation about it. And, you know, we'll get more into that in that episode that I will have coming up in a couple of weeks. All right, y'all. So without further ado, here is myself and Rebecca. Rebecca, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. And by coming back, you've been a guest before. I think everyone should go and listen to that episode. It was a great one. I'll drop that in the show notes. And also because you were here yesterday, (laughs) we had some technical difficulties. And I don't actually know this. So what happened was for people that didn't listen last week when I was talking about it, I was having a conversation with you. Hurricane Michael decided to drop by and the storm came in suddenly and power went out in my house, which shut down my computer, everything. And you were like... I had just asked you a question and you were talking. Did you keep talking for like several minutes before you realized I was gone? A good three minutes. And then I thought, <laughs> I thought Andrea is ridiculously and abnormally quiet. <laughs> and then I looked up cause I was like deep into, you know, the conversation. I'm just laughing because like her, like just like 
a hurricane was not, we were still trying to make it work amidst the residual of a hurricane yesterday. We're like, we'll make it work. Yeah. And we're still trying to, which is just what women do. Right. Exactly. Well, I just, I, you texted me and it, I, it felt like it was five minutes later and you were like, I just got done talking. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, my power went out. Sorry. I was dying. So was we're dying. back. It's the next day. And I wanted to get this episode out quickly, you know, because of the recent events. And I knew that it was very much so a topic that I wanted to talk about, but also knew very much that I am not an expert and wanted to be helpful and smart about it and intentional for my community. I know that a lot of people are feeling the feels around this. So the, let me let me start from the very beginning and, and ask this question. Can you talk about how the recent events here in the States, and I know it's not just happening here in the States, it's sort of like this ripple effect felt well beyond here, even just this continent. But, you know, for people who are feeling triggered by it and maybe they've experienced trauma before, maybe they haven't experienced sexual assault. Can you talk to people why they might be feeling on edge and feeling angry and maybe snapping at people they love? And and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can't be... Um gosh, we don't want to minimize the impact of watching somebody speak their trauma story before a world audience and then have it powerfully and passionately and painfully rebuked. Dismissed. So Mm -hmm. just dismissed and minimized and... And what's so powerful in what we witnessed is the narrative that so many people have gone through as they're rising from their own sexual assault, sexual abuse, um, harassment experiences. And so the reason why, and especially, (laughs) and you and I both work with people who are ridiculously intelligent, Mm -hmm. they make stuff happen. They're world changers. They push through, they rise. And when they're feeling like, you know, spilling some of their coffee or forgetting something at home takes them from zero to a hundred. And they're like, why am I reacting so ridiculous? Is because, and then then it just starts to spiral some more shame and judgment. And like, I should be over this by now. Why am I not acting the way that I know I should act? We can't underestimate the impact that this has on our nervous system. And our brains are beautiful and and complex and have this ability to, they're, they're hardwired to help us move through trauma and difficult life experiences. There's this complex system in place. And when that system gets jammed up, uh, when something gets in the way of that system working, then difficult experiences, then when anything triggers that memory, and it may not seem logical to our thinking parts of us, it can take us from zero to a hundred. And then you have an experience where we're seeing things that so many people identify, whether it's a memory, whether it's a languaging of the response of disbelief Mm -hmm. and devalue that goes right back to that. And then just people are also discovering, Oh, wow, I might have more work to do on this too. And it's pretty common with trauma. It isn't like I do the work check I'm fixed. I think when we have difficult life experiences, they do impact us and there can be residual. And we also have this narrative we live of live, 
live around that says we should be fixed. We should be over it. Yeah. And people are trying to rush and, and, and we're never taught that. No, when your power is taken away, you get to decide on how you want to navigate this part of your story, this season of your story. And so it just, this heightened nervous system, and then all of a sudden it's not logical why we, we don't know why we're triggered or we're agitated. And then we often don't have a lot of compassion or respect or understanding around our own reactivity. And it's especially frustrating to people too, if they're connecting the dots and they're like, why am I feeling this way? I am sick of this person or these people or this experience that took away my power still hijacking my present. And so that can also foster a lot of frustration and maybe feel anxiety and depression and other ways of numbing. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It sounds, you know, from a clinical perspective, it sounds layered and for some people complicated. And I think, and tell me what you think about this. This is interesting because not only are people being triggered and having to sort of re-navigate all of the emotions and thoughts and feelings around their own trauma, or maybe even the trauma of someone that they cared deeply about, you know, maybe it was a best friend or a sister that that happened to, but then having to have conversations with people that don't understand and those might turn into arguments. And then in some cases, the person that you're talking to is maybe trying to understand, but I know personally, I have had zero fucking patience. Like if you don't get it, <laughs> then I'm about to throat punch you. And I I see that and I try to get curious about it. And it's been calling on my own tools has been very difficult during this situation. And it's one that I've had to be very careful with, with my husband, because I, I, I think that with the people that we love the most, we tend to be the quickest to bite them first. And I think my question is, several questions based on what I just shared. And again, this is, this is me y'all, you know, trying to navigate my own um, stuff with this. And that's why I wanted to have you on Rebecca. And, you know, I consider you a friend and a colleague. And so it's part like, let's you and I have a conversation and I want to make this a helpful podcast for everybody. But how do you, okay, the question becomes, how do you navigate feedback from people who are not sure who to believe in this situation, who might have different opinions, or maybe they're just curious and trying to understand. Right. Okay. Before I get to how to navigate the people, I want to circle back on if I was nerding out about the brain and the memory network system. Basically, we are complex, beautiful beings that sometimes the world makes it sound like it should be so simple to be fixed. And when we're not, we often beat ourselves up. So when these things happen, it's about respect and radical love. Now, when it comes self-love, when it comes to trying to connect, I think there's two parts that you talk about. There's a part of wanting to share your story and really have that understood Mm -hmm. and validated. And then there's the other part where people are really trying to understand and maybe epically failing, but their intentions are pure. Um, And so I I wanted to split those two up. And I I feel like this is a time to get really, really freaking clear on who is worthy of your story. This is radical boundaries. This is not wall. They're not walls. Mm-hmm. It's just when you're in the, I'm ready to punch you and tear down everything space. There's very, very few people in my life that are appropriate and have earned the right to be with They can me. hold that space. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have a strong justice part and I have another part of me that's a strong, like it's not fair and likes mm-hmm. to hang out with the justice part. That's like, you should know. 
you know, no. and you should because of who you are, what you do, what you say, how you live. And so honestly, that's just work for me. And I bring it to my select few minimal people in my life. And that's also a very lonely season. And so that's what I'm seeing too, is that wave of who really understands. Does it, is it that lonely? And there's times in watching this and feeling the echoes of all the stories that I've held, not just as a clinician, but as a human um, in my lifetime that have been minimized and devalued and rejected and, and the, the, the violence upon violence that's happened when people dare to come forward and say, no, this isn't okay. And this is my experience. So it, it really is about giving permission that they're not going to be okay to understand. And we're, and we also have to be careful. Oh, you know, I don't want to ever silence a survivor. I never want to silence someone who's like, I'm going to tell the world. And I'm like, you go mm-hmm. sister or mister, whoever it is. Cause this is men and women. I also say, what is the best, what's in the best service of your recovery? Yeah. And, 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 and right now and long-term and That's a great question we get to ask. And so the reality is, is I've had to be, I had to come to a respect that some people are not where I want them to be. And that's work I do with people too. Now with the people that are genuinely trying to understand and are like, for me, I'm a recovering asshole and they're trying, they're unintentionally being assholes, but they're really trying to help. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where I give myself permission just to draw that conversation out and empower others to say, you know what, do you mind if we circle back a little bit on this conversation? Thank you for asking. I'm just having a hard time staying present in it. Yeah. And then if some people are more, I'm a verbal processor. Some people are written and then they go and say, you know what, here's what I want you to know. I'm not ready to have a back and forth with you, but here are resources for you to go look at. Here's what I need and don't need from you. And I get if that's not okay. Thank you for trying. Mm -hmm. And then I got to tend to the parts of me that want justice. And so it's not fair and are having brain explosions that what's so obvious to me is not to so many people. And really it's a disc. It's very protective because here's the thing, Andrea, if people really, really, really were honest about the truth around sexual harassment, sexual, sexual assault and abuse, many people's worlds would crumble. Right. So. I agree with that. And it's, it's, oh, it's so much. And I, I love the examples that you gave and those are boundaries and those are sometimes hard conversations, but that is, that's kindness. That's, that's, you're saying I'm not, I'm not in a place to either, you know, be the person that you need or, you know, you're just, you're, you're basically saying, I I always say like, just say what's there. Mm-hmm. And be kind about it and make it known that you're trying to be of service to the other person. And sometimes that's saying, no, not right now, maybe later. And those are sometimes some hard conversations. Yeah. And what's so beautiful is when someone has taken away your power and you get to say, no, not now, maybe later, that's in service of healing. Mm-hmm. And we are hardwired, we, meaning women, um, hardwired to worry about everybody else. Yeah. We're care for everybody else. And it's okay that I can't take this on Mm -hmm. right now. And, and that is okay. And this is long game work. And this stuff also has teased up a lot of beliefs, self-belief that people have about themselves, about recovery, about what's safe and not safe. That's shifted a lot too. 
And so, yeah. Yeah. It's, oh yes. Yes to all that. And I, I, I think one of the things that the word that kept coming up for me when you were talking about that is, is patience and compassion and self-compassion. Yeah. I do patience like as gracefully as someone running across <laughs> hot coals, maybe. I'm not hardwired for patience like me my neither. husband. But here's the thing. It really is. And I feel like this is so important. If someone's had their power taken away from me, from the, you know, from them, it is their, their choice and how they get to write the next chapters of their life in talking about it and healing from it. Mm -hmm. There are no shoulds other than for me when I'm wearing, especially when my clinical hat, but when I wear my human hat is as long as you're not hurting yourself or somebody else in the process. And, And again, there's, there's some gray zones in how people determine that because some people would say by you speaking your truth is going to hurt somebody else and ruin their career and ruin their life. Like mm-hmm. we witnessed on the national stage. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, it's so much. Okay. Next, you know, shifting gears slightly. And here's something that I'm genuinely curious about. And I've been thinking about posting this on my personal Facebook page. I have a wide variety of, I have like 3,600 Facebook friends and it's just kind of a interesting mishmash of people. And, you know, the subject of people being afraid um, for, you know, men being afraid of being wrongly accused. And here's the thing that's really interesting to me is parents of sons voicing their fears of their sons growing up now in a culture where they're afraid that they're going to be wrongly accused. So preface this. I have an 11-year-old son and a nine-year-old daughter. And I'm watching all these parents say this, you know, a lot of mothers too say this. And I'm like, wait a minute. I am, I'm actually not worried about my son. Not that I think that my son is perfect by any means. And there was this woman I was having this back and forth with on Instagram. And she said, um, oh, I'm sure she was being very sarcastic and passive aggressive. She said, I'm sure you're not worried about your son ever being wrongly accused because you're going to raise him not to do that. And I didn't even, I didn't go back and forth with her because she was it just wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the time. But I'm, my response honestly to that is no, I I don't think that my son is, um, incapable of doing that. He's a human being. And I don't think that any of our children are beyond, you know, doing something that we would be grossly disappointed in. And, but the thing is, is that I think that my worry for my daughter trumps that. I just, and it's not even just based on statistics. It's based on my own human experience. And so I don't, I'm not saying that I'm right in this. I'm just very, I just, something I'm sitting with is what I'm trying to say. And I'm thinking, am I not worried about him? Because I only have the experience of being a woman, you know, um, I don't know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I don't know if I'm voicing it very clearly. I think I'm following you clearly. In fact, my direct message of Insta and Facebook has blown up with those exact same conversations. Um, so here's the thing, Andrea, your intuition is backed up by hard gold standard research that anywhere from two to 10% of accusations are false. And that's still horrific. Mm-hmm. And, but it's still, we've got well over 60% of abuse and assault not even reported because this narrative that you just named trumps everything else. And so I, you and I both are mothers of sons and 
it, yeah. So we drill down and talk about consent. Yep. And we talk about what's okay and what's not okay. We talk about power that's in a way that's age appropriate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My son's eight and yours is 10, right? He's 11, just turned 11. 11. Oh my goodness, they're growing so fast. And so, but I I think it's important as um, our mentor and um, person who uh, we both are in the Daring Way community who challenges us to call us to speak, to call bullshit, to speak truth to bullshit. And, and that is a narrative that only fosters the power that has kept women in places of being objectified and taking away their power and their humanity. If we dig deeper Mm -hmm. and if our friends and colleagues and acquaintances who are DMing us about this question got honest about really sitting with the fear because for them, the fear of their son getting falsely accused trumps the fear of their daughter. Yeah. What I was hearing. And I think, and some people I think would push back and say, no, that's not the case at all. But what if, and even I was interviewed by um, a local, um, her local NBC for a story after um, Trump mocked Dr. Ford last week in a political rally. And we were talking off camera about these statistics. And, you know, he said, we watched Dr. Ford's testimony. Then we watched Kavanaugh's testimony. We just didn't know a hundred percent. I'm like, yeah, you've got like probably high 90% of the people are true. He's like, yeah, but it's not a hundred. Oh my God. And that stuck with me. This is a great guy. He's a great human being. And, um, but it, it helped me because this is, I told this is an issue of privilege. This mm-hmm. is an issue of power. And that if we are not, if we're really, going to believe women, then it's going to dismantle a lot of core beliefs about what we value and what's okay, what's safe and what's not. So it's a red herring argument. That's what I feel like. We have to gently and consistently, and maybe sometimes not so gently, but for me, in my community, I've been just, I'm going to be that consistent, different voice um, that says it would break my heart if my son was a part of that, I am going to do everything in my power to educate him and to, and to surround him with people that don't dehumanize or other anyone else because of their gender, mm-hmm. of their sexual orientation, or the color of their skin. Yes. Um, and I also have been holding stories pretty much my whole lifetime of mostly women even though as a clinician, I've worked with several men who have been assaulted and abused and they don't come forward because they might lose their job, their reputation, their community, their home, um, their lives. And so it is, it is a false dichotomy to compare them to we, we are devaluing and hurting this important issue by putting this false dichotomy of, false reports against who's true and putting us in the cell ourselves of judge and jury. And let me be very clear when we, I mean, for me, to me, I am, it is a mandate as a human, not just as a clinician, a trauma therapist to when someone shares their story of trauma, I give them the gift of belief and of caring. And by doing that doesn't automatically mean I am condemning the alleged perpetrator. It is not. Mm-hmm. In fact, 
our, and our work within the Daring Way has called us to say we also care about those that are perpetrators, that we have to help them create space to get help or else this is going to continue. There's so much shame in owning, perpetrators owning the violence that they are cultivating or exhibiting and living from themselves. And so just to circle back again, to put that argument of the fear of my son being falsely accused against my daughter's story not getting justice, we have to call BS on that false dichotomy because decades of research and of whatever the profession, whether it's police, whether it's education, whether it's therapy, whether it's government research is showing this to be different. And there's a lot of fear. And and then you start getting the what if arguments and all these other straw arguments. But at the heart of it, if someone's had their power taken away by somebody else in an act of violence and aggression, there needs to be justice. And that person deserves a voice. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the bottom line. And it just... I'm really trying to understand, like there was a moment where I felt like, I thought to myself, is there something wrong with me? Because I don't, I'm not really that worried about it. And it's not at all, again, it's not that I think that my son is incapable of that. It's, I've been, I've been trying to unpack it, I think is, is what I'm trying to say. And I think, you know, I look at both of my children and I just, I don't know, I, 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 maybe it's intuition, maybe it's just science. I don't know, but I think about how I grew up and I'm not that much younger than Dr. Ford. Um, I think she was 15 in 1982. I was 15 in 1990. Same, same situations that, and when she was, when her testimony, when she was saying like, I didn't tell my parents because I was 15 and I was drinking beer with boys. And I'm like, oh my God, I think so many of us have been in that situation where it just all of her testimony, all of it. I, I, I was just yeah. chewing on my fingers while listening to it. And I'm just like, Oh my God, there was, this is sort of doesn't have to do with anything, but it's indirectly related when she was talking about her trauma and talking a little bit, you know, about the science behind it and everything. And, and there were people, their arguments were, <laughs> but she doesn't remember how she got there. Oh my God. I can't even, but I was thinking about my own, which I'll talk about in another episode. And, um, it was a nonviolent sexual assault that was, um, it was more or less date, date rape. And what's, what I've always found strange over the years. And it was, kind of brought to light when she was giving her testimony and she was talking about specific things that she remembers so clearly. I don't remember how we got to this place that we were at. I can assume it was this particular friend or maybe, no, I didn't, I must have not drove because I ended up not being able to get home that night. But I remember how he smelled and you know mm-hmm. how everyone has their own pheromones. Um, and it wasn't a bad, like sweaty BO smell. It was just the way that he smelled. And I only had this one encounter with him. And it was, what's also very strange is that there's been a handful of moments in my life where out of the blue, I will smell it. And it's strange and it it sort of takes me off guard and it's not, and I, I'm doing something completely unrelated. I'm like washing the dishes or, you know, folding laundry or something in it. And it, and it's jarring. And, um, for a long time, also when I went through my daring way training, that's when that story came out because I had for 21 years poo-pooed that and thought, you know, it wasn't violent. 
it was largely my fault because I was drinking and I liked him. I never told anybody about it before. I don't even know if I ever even brought it to my therapist over the years. I had told myself it was no big deal. And then when we're in this, I mean, as you know, the daring way is not, it's not light topics. And we're asked to share these shaming stories. And that came out, I mean, it was like almost like projectile vomit. Like the story came out and I was ashamed on so many levels of it. But that's, I think, what triggered all of the sort of visceral somatic things that happened. And all that to say is that trauma is fierce. And I used to even sort of poo-poo trauma. And I'm like, well, trauma is for like, you know, war veterans or people who have been violently abused or raped. Like y'all can claim trauma, but but situations like mine don't count. All that, I'm just kind of circling around here, (laughs) helicoptering around. It's just all very interesting. I'm grateful for you sharing that and reinforcing what anyone who has studied the brain and understands trauma, what Dr. Ford was saying just felt like what we hear every day. So if anyone's listening and identified with, I remember some parts so clearly and not the others don't buy into, and I will just say this, what I've learned over the years with um, those that I know that come forward and want to press charges and, and, and take a stand that how the court of law observes this is different than maybe what I would see because of just the way laws are, but that everything it's just, you know, it's in, as she said, indelible in the hippocampus, them laughing, right. is what she remembered and the, where the bed was for you. It's, it's a smell mm-hmm. that makes so much sense. I mean, it's just, that's what the, your memory network's holding. And then there's all these other narratives of two, and this is, this is just world theory in its darkest. Well, what were you wearing? Well, who were you with? What time of night was it? What part of town were you in? Were you sober or not? Well, I guess you just get we. And at the heart of this is dehumanization. Yeah. We can only treat an other, so another human being that way if we dehumanize them, yeah. if we feel entitled. And so that is the key. And it really is if people were to rumble with how much they um, condone and support, not condone, but support and collude with dehumanization of women, um, it would shake their worlds. And often this is other women, other women that you and I are talking to. And for, for trauma survivors that are feeling like another wave has come back when they thought this was kind of tucked neatly away and worked on or dealt with however you felt dealt with it and something came to the surface, I just encourage you to respect that as not a sign of weakness. That is your body saying, I think you can handle it right now. We don't have to numb out. So we, you're strong enough to and badass enough to then now feel this shit, which is very inconvenient. Trauma and healing from trauma is very, very inconvenient. Sure and the body is the last to really hold on to the memory. So if your brain's worked through it and kind of, you know, has the logical connect the dots and you've had the self-compassion, the self-love and your work done trust, that the body, which doesn't have words, can still have things that come forward that isn't. And then it causes our intellectual parts to go, what the heck's going on? Am I losing my mind? No, this is just like, oh, well, this is another layer. Note to self. Mm-hmm. This is the insidiousness of trauma, especially sexual trauma. And all these things started to make so much sense too. So not long after the incident happened, I was 19 when it happened. Um, maybe it was even just a matter of weeks 
I was out with a bunch of my girlfriends downtown San Diego and I saw him and he was, I don't know, maybe 30 feet away from me with his friends. And I remember walking over there and when I was face to face with him, something, I had a visceral physical response and it was not like, it was not a great one. Like, you know, when all the blood rushes down there, it wasn't like that at all. It was something I can't explain and something I don't think I've ever had again in my life. And I remember thinking to myself, what is happening to my body? It was almost like these two separate dialogues were going on. So my body is sort of, I mean, now I know that my body was remembering and my logical brain was like, confused. Like what is happening? Because at that point I had already, you know, decided I had had consensual sex with him, even though I didn't want to and said no, probably a hundred times during the whole thing. And it, it was, it's fascinating to me again, looking back on what was happening and how, how easily it was for me to compartmentalize as well as kind of protect myself, I guess, away from this because I was not ready to accept what had actually happened. That's sort of what I make up over here. And that's okay. There's parts of you that weren't ready to integrate this as part of your whole story. And that's the trauma rumble. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there isn't like a wrong way to do this. Either you're doing it or you're not doing it. And and the reality is the body always wins. If you're ignoring and stuffing, it eventually will kick your ass. And it's a face down. And I think we all, especially again, you know, Mm -hmm. you can push on through that doesn't work with long-term trauma healing and really integration of our whole story. That just takes time and it's rewiring because when you're in a place, um, especially where shame and pain and fear are so acute and it's then burned into your nervous system and then carrying the burdens Sometimes it's residual that's still there. And you're so right. And just to speak to anyone listening, if you feel what Andrea expressed, that's normal. Like that doesn't phase me. Like, of course, that makes a lot of sense. You're not crazy. You don't need to be fixed. You're not weak. You're not broken. There's just some pain and hurt that needs to be addressed. And sadly, we're in a culture that's still very conflicted on how they want to support people who've had experienced something along the sexual assault abuse spectrum, but it's so important that you respect and own your story Mm -hmm. and you don't have to like it. In fact, you can hate it. I think, I don't think, you know, it's like, yes, this happened to me and it's all, no, it's horrific. Yeah. Um, But one of the best things to do to separate the power of those who took away your power is to do the work and to respect what your body's telling you. Yeah. And I still have more work to do. And I'm going to come back on another episode um, with a friend of mine and, and tell the the whole story. Cause I think it's, I think it's important to tell both just as a, um, you know, someone who's experienced this and, and, and for my own healing, but I want to sort of switch gears and, and ask you about, can you talk to us about the deep connection between sexism and racism? Oh, <laughs> you know, just light, light question there. Uh, you know, <laughs> And I know I brought this up to you as we were prepping for the call, and I'll be very candid. This this is something that's new to me that I'm realizing. Mm-hmm. My friends of color, particularly women of color, are like, yeah, duh. Yeah. It's all these ahas. And I'm going to be more worried about my son 
who presents Caucasian. I'm married to a man who has um, Chinese Polynesian uh, heritage, but my son presents white. And so I'm going to be more concerned about him than I am about my daughter. That narrative is supported in a culture that also is very deeply connected to racism Mm -hmm. and that the powers at play because I was watching the news and it was like, there was a a local news that just popped on. I usually don't have the news on because it's like gnarly. You can't, it's not kid friendly. Local news is not Mm -hmm. kid friendly. I think there might, we might've been waiting for the big bang theory or something, but, um, and it was a picture of uh, a man of color being brought into jail or brought into before a judge and they're talking about a woman who was sexually assaulted by him and he is getting put on parole and she's fighting to not have that happen. And I was like, really? Really? And it was a white woman who then, and, the, and she was getting, the, and the story was very sympathetic towards her. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if this guy, I don't know anything about this story. I will believe survivors. I will believe survivors. And I'm not necessarily judging the alleged perpetrator. And this man's already served his time. But it was like, we don't see those stories though of, of white men, especially. And the reality is, is I, I'm trying to dig into the data of the people who do report. I'd love to see the data of white, white versus non-white and the accusers mm-hmm. and the people I'd love to ask that 60 plus percent of people who don't come forward, you know, their, their race and who their perpetrator was just uh, my guess though, is it's predominantly people who have been violated. Um, majority are women of color that don't come forward. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. And that the majority of the perpetrators are white. And that when we do believe the stories, the perpetrators are black. Yeah. And the victims, the survivors are white. And so, and because that's a story that's been told in our culture. So I'm very new to, as Glennon Doyle Melton calls, getting racially sober. And so I am new to this on a next level. Um, that's why I say I'm a recovering asshole. I mean, it's like really getting clear on my own racism and my own privilege mm-hmm. um, and understanding as a white woman of faith, the power and responsibility that I have uh, right now. And so if I'm going to take a stand um, on the matters of sexism and not racism, I am not taking a stand. Yeah. It is a both and situation, not an either or. And I, if you can tap out of this, and this is, I just having a conversation with a dear friend. She's like, you know, I don't want to get involved in this political stuff. I'd rather just do the work and be with the marginalized and be with the poor. And I said to her, well, I don't want these issues to be diminished to political issues only. It's still going to be addressing sexism and racism. And if we can tap out, we have privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so I think that's just to name that I'm watching this and listening to, again, friends of color who They've been, this is kind of their truth. And I'm like in this, oh my gosh, I see these connections. Like I'm someone brilliant. And really this is a story that's been real for a while. And that if we want to change what's happening around sexual assault and sexism, we have to be just as active addressing issues of race. Yeah. Yes to all of that. And likewise, as Glenn, I love that term, racially sober. And um, my trajectory, I've talked about it on the podcast, has starts back in, started in about 2009, but that was more so just, you know, becoming a, a more progressive human. And then really, I talked about this just a few episodes ago, my friend Elizabeth Yelta was on, was the 2016 election, I think woke up so many white women and then we were so pissed off. And then black women are like, 
y'all, we've been leading this, you know, for a long time. Where have you been? And just trying to catch up. I think also for me, I have been furious and ragey about rape culture for a long time back before when I was an asshole, like you, like you mentioned and didn't know what it was. I knew I was ragey about something, didn't know what it was probably, you know, directly connected to the episode I had when I was 19 as your dog agrees with me. And, (laughs) but I always knew it was something. And then when I, I took a class in 2009 that was called men and masculinity. It was a, it was a women's studies class, woke me up to the true definitions of misogyny, patriarchy, what truly feminism was because I was, I really thought that it was just bra burning, man hating women and realized, oh, it's actually not that. And how much the patriarchy actually also affects my son and my husband and all the men in my life that I love. The patriarchy hurts everyone. All that to say, when I realized what I want to talk about the most and what I want to try to dismantle the most was rape culture. I didn't, I was confused about, okay, what does rape culture have to do with white supremacy? So I did some research and realized, okay, here's how it goes. If you're talking about rape culture, you're talking about feminism. And if you're talking Mm -hmm. about feminism, you're talking about patriarchy. And if you're talking about patriarchy, you're talking about white supremacy and it's all connected. And so you can't tap out of talking about, or I should say of just learning about and unpacking white supremacy, because that really is the umbrella that houses all of these other fucked up things that are happening in our world. And I think that the people who don't believe that are the people who, I think there's a lot of reasons because I used to be that person. I think it's, I think it's more painful to actually admit it because then you have to realize that you have a lot of work to do. I think for many women, they are also sort of doused in misogyny. I was as well. And that was hard to admit. That was really hard to admit and unpack for myself. But anyway, yeah, those are just my my two cents on on how it's all connected. And I also like to say I'm in the very beginning of my own my own journey on this. I have been reading the books, reading all the articles, following lots of um, women of color activists, and then also I am now signing up for classes by anti-racism leaders and instructors, people of color who are teachers. And when we're offline, I can actually tell you about a class that I'm signing up for that I'm excited about that's, that's coming up. Um, but it's just, I, it's been quite a ride and just, I mean, I'm, I'm still just like shaking my head about how the system lies to us and just how easy it is like as a child to be raised in this and have no idea. It very much is like that analogy of, you know, the fish in the water and then the other fish asks, how's the water? And he's like, what water? That's, that was us with, with white supremacy. We didn't know. I didn't know. It just was life. It was what it was. And I think I'm with you about rape culture and the utter disgust of what's okay and how that's connected to purity culture, uh, where mm. women are dangerous. This um, is one of the reasons and, we moved out of Utah. And objects to be feared. <laughs> sorry, sorry, yeah. people that live in Utah, but I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I will say this: as my my therapist, trauma therapist, part parts of me are saying, "Hey, if you're listening to this, as we're tackling all these big issues, and you're working on your trauma, go do your work. 
Andrea and I and a bunch of other people, we're, we're, we're going to help you. When you're ready, you can join, but mm-hmm. you have to take care of you so that you can join this work. So I just want to make sure people I'll put some feel- links in the show notes, y'all. It's at yourkickasslife.com slash 252 to grab the show notes. I'm going to put links to Rebecca's site. If you're in the San Diego area, um, you know, go to one of our workshops, <laughs> go see her, one of her therapists, and also some books that I'm reading that are great for people who are just waking up to this and need to do the work. And P.S. that's everybody. Okay. All the white women. Go ahead. It is. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And again, rape culture, and it, you're, I love how you just mapped those all together because that's exactly what I'm seeing now so clearly. And I love, I work with my brick and mortar business at Potentia here in San Diego that I work with a group of people that we're rumbling with that together. And it's shaking up all of our circles of influence. Um, but if we really want to make this place, this world a safer place, then it's going to require discomfort. And that is not something we're hardwired to feel. And we, you and I both know, cause we're immersed in Brene Brown's research that at the heart of this is un- handling risk and uncertainty and emotional exposure and that our brains love certainty and do not like any kind of exposure. Some people don't have a choice to tap out, but if we really, if people are committed to building their, their shame resilience, and they can navigate these conversations. Their worthiness isn't connected to what everyone else thinks. It's it's really, this is layered, complex work. And by you, Andrea, continuing to use your voice on your Facebook page, which I'm a part of, um, listen to your podcast. We flow in different circles. By you sharing your story, the way you share it with with truth, with clarity, you're not fire hosing it. It's your work done, your work on it. You're at a season of it and you're not going to stay quiet. You're going to be consistent and you're speaking truth to bullshit. It's a bit by bit that is making a difference that is contributing and being okay with being called in and called up as we have our, our face down moments as we're getting racially sober while we're trying to connect to, continue to be activists, uh, to decrease rape culture uh, immensely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just became very clear that I can't, I can't talk about one, you know, and shake my fist in the air and do my work on just trying to dismantle rape culture without also, again, following those dots and, and looking at all of it. And, and then what comes first really is I can't become a teacher. Like I'm not a race educator by any stretch. I need to learn from race teachers. And then what I can't, I've decided what I can do is talk about my journey. And I think that there are so many, so many of my, my listeners that are white women. I've had actually a couple of former clients reach out to me and and, and a couple of them that have been coaches are kind of sheepishly asking me, what do I do next? I want to be doing this work, but I'm terrified to do anything. So it's been great that I can have private conversations with them as well as pay attention to my listeners. And, um, I, I think, you know, having some conversations with them at retreats and, and groups and things like Mm -hmm. that, they, they want to do the work, but they're feeling like, what, what do I, what do I do? And, and is this enough? And, and I, I kind of half joke, like, I want to know who the manager is. Like, can I speak to the manager said the angry white lady, because (laughs) 
I want to know what's right and what's wrong. And the, the truth of it is like, that's that uncertainty is like, there's no one person that speaks for anti-racism work. There's no one person that, that speaks, you know, one person of color who, who has every single answer and what's right. So it's also about discerning and just, there's just so many layers to it. And, and again, I don't have all the answers. I actually had one, a former client reach out to me and she said, you know, I saw what you posted on your personal Facebook page and it's so awesome how fearless you are. And I was like, let me stop you right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Cause I, I still blow up that word fearless. I think we need to blow up the word fearless. I can't I with that word. Yeah. It's like, that's a lobotomy. If you're fearless, you have a lobotomy. Exactly. Like there's no bravery and no courage without fear. It's just a fact. It's the physics of it. It's Sorry. Science. It's yes. science, people. <laughs> but I, I just told her, I said, no, I'm still scared. I'm still, and, you know, just energetically the comments, you know, having to field the comments and have conversations with people like on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, I said, mentioned one thing about dismantling the patriarchy and it becomes this big conversation and, and, um, it's tricky. And I have to also fiercely guard my energy and it is my privilege to do so. It's just, if I was all day long, every day on social media talking about this, then I would never get any work done. I am so grateful for this conversation. Thank you so much for this. And I just, I know, and I just want to echo what you said a few minutes ago, that if there's anyone listening who, anything that we said is, um, you know, feeling like it's, it's coming to the surface for you, you know, especially when we were talking about racism, please check the show notes for, for resources for you. And then talking about trauma. If you, I mean, even if, even if what happened to you happened decades ago, it's, it, it just, please, please, please get the support you need, whether you need to reach out to the therapist you had before or a new one, or reach out to someone who like Brene says has, has earned the right to hear your story. And, um, I'm just thinking about all of you out there who are feeling very tender and angry and all of the feelings and Rebecca, yeah. Anything no, else you want to no, say before we close up? I just want to say there's no time limit on healing and that's yeah. a myth that's been told. So whenever you're ready, there's a lot of people out there to help you do the work. Yes. Thank you so much, Ask Kickers, for, for listening in on this conversation. I know how valuable your time is, and I so appreciate you hanging out with us. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. If you're still listening to this podcast, I know you are a very loyal listener. First and foremost, I want to say thank you. And second, I want to let you know about Patreon. Many of you are already pledges over there on Patreon. And what that means is that I'm giving everyone an opportunity to support the podcast for as little as a dollar per episode. If you head on over to patreon.com slash YKAL, you can read about the three different tiers that I offer and all of the amazing perks that come along with it. With the $16 a month pledge, you can get your own unique personal development questions answered on listener Q&A episodes. I do monthly Ask Me Anything videos there in Patreon where you can ask me anything. I also take suggestions from my patrons on topics to cover or experts that they would love to see on the show. So again, head on over to patreon.com slash YKAL. Thank you.